Welcome, 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 everyone, to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and on this episode, Brian and I chat with Emerson Johnston over Zoom about her recent piece on the global fashion industry titled Not So Fast Fashion, How COVID-19 is Changing the Fashion Industry. We discuss some of the ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the global fashion industry and why Emerson believes this is an opportunity for the industry to shift towards a focus on environmental and social sustainability. Additionally, Emerson joins us for another installment of Class Struggle, hosted by Ariana Bennett, to tell us about one of her favorite classes at Northeastern. As always, I recommend reading Emerson's piece for yourself. It's available on nupoliticalreview.com in the opinion section. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Welcome to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and this week I'm joined by Emerson Johnston to discuss one of her recent articles for NUPR called Not So Fast Fashion, How COVID-19 is Changing the Fashion Industry. Emerson, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Emerson Johnston. I am a second year dual major in PPE and HCL. My pronouns are she, hers, hers and I'm really excited to be here. Great. Also joining me on the mic today is one of the podcast producers, Brian Grady. Brian, if you could introduce yourself. Hi again, Max. Uh, Nice to be speaking with you, Emerson. My name is Brian Grady, he, him, his pronouns, and I'm a poli-sci major here at Northeastern, and I am another one of the producers on this show. Glad to have you here, Brian. So Emerson, I really enjoyed reading your piece about the fashion industry and the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic has consumed so many aspects of everyone's life over the past X many months. And so it was very interesting to hear about how it was impacting the fashion industry. Do you want to go ahead and tell the listeners just a little bit about what your article was about and how COVID has impacted this industry? Yeah, of course. With the article, my main goal was to highlight how sustainability was going to be a new priority for fashion industry moguls, as well as the companies that they run. Sustainability has been a huge focus for the fashion industry for years, especially as consumer preferences change towards sustainable practices instead of uh, fashion trends. So I was really excited to see how COVID-19 would affect those and those preferences, as well as everything that was going on around those companies at the time. And when you say sustainability, What all does that entail? Does it just include using renewable energy sources, renewable materials? What kinds of things go into sustainability in fashion? Sustainability in the fashion industry encompasses both environmental sustainability, which is just your typical sustainable practices, whether that be um, a removal of plastic or more eco-friendly materials, but it also encompasses social sustainability. And that's more progressive policies tailored towards workers. So it is a favorable view on unions or it's a non-favorable view on sweatshops. Those things have become increasingly valued in the sustainability conversation. So when we take a look at it overall, it's both social and environmental. So Emerson, one of the questions that we like to ask our guests on this show is what motivated you to write about this topic? Was it a personal connection? 
an academic interest. What got you interested in writing about fashion and COVID-19? To be completely honest, before writing the article, I had no real interest in fashion. It just wasn't something I'd ever looked at more than just like a passing article in the news. But I needed to write an article about something and it was a YouTube video suggestion for me from, I believe, Vox to learn about sustainability practices back in March. And it was something that stuck with me into the summer when I was writing the article because it was just so interesting how an industry that would be seemingly unaffected by a health pandemic was going to be affected in the long run. I see. And so back in March, when you watched this video, this Vox video, was it addressing the pandemic at all at that point in time? Or was it from prior to the pandemic, just talking generally about the fashion industry? So I think the video was published right at the beginning of the pandemic, where people's perspectives on it were still is it going to be big? Is it going to be a long-term thing? So the passing mention of COVID was at the end. The real purpose of the video is to show how sustainability practices were changing with the economic decline that we saw in March. Companies often prioritize economic profit over sustainability when one is failing. And they were trying to ask whether or not COVID at the end of the video was going to affect those preferences even further. I see. So the concern was that COVID was going to be changing so much of consumption and production that we'd see sustainability put on the shelf for a while in favor of maximizing profit in the short term, given the, the new set of challenges. Yeah, pretty much. And so from your research, what did you find in that regard? Has environmental sustainability and labor sustainability somewhat been put on the shelf due to the COVID-19 pandemic or is it an ongoing project? I think the answer is different for the two types of sustainability. Environmental sustainability um, and the efforts that we saw from companies right before the pandemic took a sharp decline simply because the money that was allocated to those projects was allocated to profit saving projects, which is understandable from like an economist perspective. With social sustainability, however, not only did we see a decline in what they were doing, but actually practices got worse as workers were laid off sweatshops were not only exploited further, but then not paid because of the backing out of the market that we saw back in May. Sustainability not only stopped, but it got worse in the pandemic. I know something you mentioned just now that I know we talked about earlier is about the, the backing out of the market. And could you explain a little bit what that means and how something like the pandemic hitting at a certain time impacts the way that just the, the fashion and clothing industry functions? When I say backing out of the market, I don't mean that they stopped production. I really mean that they shifted production to more essential needs. So what we saw back in May was a lot of fashion industries that were less luxury brands. So you wouldn't see this from Gucci, for example. They were shifting from commercial clothing to PPE because that was where the market was. That's where the money was and that's what people needed. The problem with this was that the orders that they had originally had for commercial clothing weren't going to be fulfilled. And the way that the profit scheme works there, specifically in sweatshops um, in third world countries, meant that only once the order was placed and fulfilled were workers paid. So you would see an order placed, then not fulfilled, and workers not paid for three or four months of work, which was very problematic. And then in the meantime, you say that a lot of these companies switched to making PPE, presumably masks for the most part. Is is that something that has kind of continued throughout the pandemic? Have masks become 
like a bigger part of the fashion industry? I think yes and no. I think since May, we've seen a rise in fabric masks, which is um, indicative of the fashion industry kind of jumping on that gap in the market that we saw when even doctors couldn't find masks. That said, something that I've discussed with so many people is you don't see the capitalistic jump on masks that you've seen in other types of materials or other types of trends. For example, when plastic straws came out, every brand was producing some type of metal straw or alternative to the plastic straw because that was what was in. What I don't understand and what I spoke about with a lot of people when I was writing the article was why companies had not yet jumped on the branding opportunity that is the masks that we wear every day. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Just in my daily forays out to the grocery store or to wherever, I don't really see a lot of these like designer or like branded masks. Like you'd expect to see a lot of Nike masks, Adidas masks, stuff like that. But generally it's the disposable surgical masks or just kind of nondescript cloth masks. And I know in some of the research that I've done outside, I know that there are a lot of designer masks that exist, but I don't see them very much, which is somewhat surprising given the demographics of Northeastern, since there are a lot of students from wealthy backgrounds who typically would not shy away from wearing these kinds of designer items. It's very strange that these products exist, but aren't marketed the same as any other luxury brand product, especially because they would be significantly cheaper. I failed to understand why companies didn't jump on it. And I think it may have been because consumer preferences don't want to see companies jumping um, and taking advantage of a global health pandemic. This is just my own conjecture, but I almost wonder if part of it is A, that it is so much cheaper and it's not as much, there's not a profit margin there and it kind of may dilute the branding a little bit is almost what I wonder. And then an element that I've kind of thought of when considering the question of PPE as a fashion item is to what extent will it go out of vogue when, you know, we've been hoping this would end by September. That's passed. We were hoping it'd be over by the end of the year. That's obviously not occurred. And so I almost wonder if these moving goalposts mean that few brands are willing to commit to slapping their name on it when it might, when their hope is that it would fall out of fashion, but it's hard to say. I guess my only rebuttal to that is that fashion in and of itself as an industry goes through seasons. The skirt that you see on shelves in September is not going to be there in February. I don't understand why the impermanence of masks would be a deterrent. That makes a lot of sense. So focusing back on your article, one of the lines you mentioned is that Companies have been in general driving towards sustainability, which has been to a degree lessened by the coronavirus pandemic. You mentioned that as, quote, sustainability becomes the new norm, the companies that have failed to take initiative in this area will fall behind, end quote. When you said that, do you mean falling behind in business or do you mean falling behind in their sustainability goals? I mean both. I think that companies who have taken a very robust effort against Uh, climate change or other unsustainable practices will be ahead when consumer preferences shift to a very fast change towards sustainability. Those who haven't started are going to be far behind. But what I meant when I wrote that statement was actually about their profit. Um, Companies will see in the long run that if they don't hammer home the idea that sustainability is a priority, not a fake one that they present as like an image or to keep up with the trend, Um, They're going to fall behind. They're not going to see 
the same profit margins as their competitors who are prioritizing sustainability. And for some products in particular, I would even go as far as to say that they would be off the market. And when you talk about like the the fake sustainability versus real sustainability, what does that tend to look like when it comes to the fashion industry? What is say like what's an example of fake or superficial sustainability and what is like the counterexample of real sustainability? I think the best example is the percentage of sustainability that you implement. And what I mean by that is the fakest brands, and I won't name drop any, they implement sustainability by having a green line where all of the clothing in that line is made from sustainable materials and made from uh, workers who are well-paid. They don't focus on the parts of their company that are still very much so unsustainable. That's not true sustainability to me. That is still fulfilling really harmful practices and not using materials that will help our planet in the long run. Real sustainability implements those practices across the entire brand line, not just one product or one line of clothing or skirts or whatever have you. It's the entire company. It is a complete redesign of how you build and how you market your entire company. And that is a sustainability that we need to see that I don't think we see from any brand in the industry right now. The the kind of sustainability you're describing here, like it's a profound change from the way that like fashion has typically been done. It's typically an industry that at the at the top level is very focused on brand and this kind of intangible status element. And then kind of at the lower levels of like fast fashion that I'd say most people wear on a day to day. It's just you need a decent looking outfit that you can, especially for for kids where you're growing and growing out of clothes every few years. That kind of like investing in clothes is not something that a lot of people, especially with young children, can really afford to do. I guess this might be almost a philosophical question, Emerson, but to what extent do you think sustainability and fashion are concepts that can even go together? One is very much predicated often on new things, on brands, on consumption, and sustainability by its nature often implies not buying new things and kind of sticking with what people already have. I think that takes a very minimalist approach to sustainability. I don't think that many people in this particular conversation would agree that it, not buying more is really what the conversation is about. Because there are some people who can't really not buy more of what they need. Max, you mentioned that it might be hard for those of a lower income to prioritize sustainability. And that's why the burden can't be on the consumer. But when you have to buy something, it has to be sustainable. Even if you're trying to buy less, even if you're trying to buy nothing or be very minimalistic about what you like undertake, you have to understand that everything that you buy is sustainable or you're not being sustainable. That's interesting. And that's something that I've had some conversations with philosophy professors at Northeastern about consumption and like personal ethics. And they they've taken a similar approach to you, Emerson, in that the way they often go about it is not just eschewing consumption of a problematic good. Typically, the example is eating meat or animal products. But the approach that they've often advocated for is very purposeful consumption. So, for example, there's a professor who he he does eat meat, but only if it's from certain like local New England farms that he has to some degree vetted and believes that they are sustainable 
and ethical farms to whatever extent. I, I don't know the details of his scheme, but I think it gets at that idea of social impact isn't not consuming entirely, but there's an element that has to be deliberate and purposeful, especially when we're meeting the needs of the fact that like as people, we need clothes to survive, especially in these harsh Boston winters in doing so in a sustainable way, elevating and choosing with our dollar, the companies that put sustainability front and center in their, their entire effort is key to that consumer driven element of change. Is that a, a fair characterization of your view on this matter? Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a very important conversation that needs to be held about sustainable practices and impoverishment. You mentioned veganism, and it's a very great example of how, technically speaking, in a perfect world, if you were to do what's best for our planet, everyone would be vegan. But until veganism is as affordable as going to McDonald's or as sustainable as getting the calories from McDonald's, we can't expect or place any moral burden on those who can't afford it. Um, and when you translate that to sustainability and fashion, it really does accentuate why the consumer burden needs to be lessened. There's this idea, especially back home in Los Angeles, where us using plastic straws is going to save the planet, or non-plastic straws, rather. And that's just not true. Yes, it will help if we use metal straws or we just completely avoid plastic. But the burden is on the companies, especially those who are harming our ozone layer or contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. That's the real burden. But too often, industries will brand themselves as helping the planet by placing the burden with the consumers, and that's just way too problematic. While that's the case, one interesting aspect you mentioned in some of our prior discussions was that more consumers than we would expect are actually interested in sustainable practices. You discussed that it's not necessarily just the stereotypical wealthy liberals who are interested in sustainable practices and fashion and I'd be curious what some of your other thoughts were on that. In my research, one of the most interesting things I found was the amount of people interested in sustainability overall. And the numbers are different for the types of sustainability we've mentioned. Less people are concerned with environmentalist sustainability as they are with social sustainability. And that's not to say that people don't care about environmental sustainability. But right now, at least with U.S. politics, the focus seems to be a lot on workers, especially those abroad. The numbers show that there's an overwhelming support of the abolishment of sweatshops or other practices that mirror exploitation of workers, minimal pay, outsourcing because you know it will be cheaper. Those numbers show an overwhelming support across political boundaries, whereas environmentalism, unfortunately, has become far more partisan. Even there, however, there is an overwhelming support of sustainable practices and sustainable materials a push to contribute to the abolishment of greenhouse gases, or at least the lessening of them. So I think it's really interesting to see the political divides between sustainability, um, especially with like regard to unions, something that I think is really political. A lot of people just agree that workers need to have rights in this industry, especially in third world countries. Emerson, one of the other things we talked about in our prep session is about the different ways that people like to see sustainability implemented. For example, you talked about the difference between governmentally imposed sustainability and corporate-initiated sustainability. Could you talk a little bit about the ways that these two avenues for change go over in the public opinion and what that might mean? Something that struck me was that people will 
jump on to the environmentalist train far easier if it's led by either the people or by corporations. If it's led by a politician, it's far more likely to be met with criticism or the so-called non-believers. Case in point, anything Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says. I think it's really important to see why that changes, and I couldn't tell you from research simply because it's not something that's explored, but I guess my best guess why politicians are not trusted is because politicians are not trusted. I think when a politician says that we need to prioritize sustainability, for example, it's always going to be met with this partisan critique, regardless of what side it comes from. And this is true for any issue. When a corporation says we're going to prioritize sustainability, there's no real reason not to, especially when as a consumer, you don't really benefit if the company profits more. You know that, hey, you might be paying $60 for a shirt, but it doesn't really matter to you if that shirt is made from one material or the other. It's less affected to you if a corporation leads an effort or if people lead an effort. But if a politician, especially one who represents you, is doing so, it's far more likely to be criticized by the traditional voter, specifically because maybe it's not the issue that we need to be focusing on, or maybe we're not considering the economy more than the environment and so on. Yeah, that definitely strikes me as being much more palatable to the American public to have a company or an innovator or a corporation be the ones undertaking the mantle of progress and sustainability rather than public government institutions. One question I have, Emerson, is we've been talking a lot about kind of consumers changing preferences toward sustainability. And something I'm kind of interested in hearing your take on is, especially from the average consumer who might not be reading articles every day about how certain brands are better or worse for the environment. What do you think is driving this macro level shift in consumer preferences? I genuinely think it's the media, Um, whether that be the news or Twitter. I am not really well versed, but I will say that 10 years ago, the amount of people who are vegan today, um, who who were vegan then is just completely different. Same with people who only shop from brands who are completely sustainable. The idea of sustainability has become one of the social media trends that really does have the potential of being pretty impactful. In LA specifically, the idea of being sustainability has become kind of a popularity contest. At least in my high school, if you weren't actually prioritizing climate change or if you were like an abhorrent meat eater, for lack of a better word, um, you were actually looked down upon, not to the point where you were bullied, but just like, why, why don't you care more? And it was something that even the people who didn't care about environmental science or people in the other disciplines uh, were conscious of. And that is not something we saw 10 years ago. It is not something we saw five years ago. It's a very new idea of just adhering to what is the social contract, which has now prioritized sustainability more than it ever has. I've also noticed similar trends in high school and especially in college in Boston, where sustainability is social capital in a a lot of circles. For instance, avoiding meat or shopping from brands that are known to be sustainable is very fashionable and can be kind of a status symbol, just like how luxury brands become status symbols through their exclusivity and design. Sustainable brands seem to be leveraging sustainability and social responsibility in order to become a different kind of status symbol. I wonder how much that's limited to 
not to rain on the parade of, you know, the LA and Boston sustainability chorus a little bit, but as someone who comes from what is almost a red state, uh, not quite as much of a trend in high school to shame the meat eaters. Let's just say uh, diesel trucks were in where I uh, come from. So it's not a universal thing, but it does seem like a general groundswell towards environmentalism, though we're working on it. Another question I have, Emerson, is we kind of move towards the end of the discussion and try and give listeners something to to look forward to is in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and especially how it has lasted for so long, it's undoubtedly creating opportunities for change within the fashion industry. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about some of the opportunities that fashion companies are going to have to change the way they do business in a meaningful way towards sustainability. First, I want to preface this by saying it is very clear that the COVID-19 pandemic hit all companies hard. And I'm not going to shame corporations for initially prioritizing economic profit because to be shut down in the short run won't help anyone. But what I will say is when I wrote the article, I didn't expect us to still be basically in a quasi lockdown six months later. I think that there are a lot of mechanisms for companies to be philanthropic, which is the best way to prove to consumers in this meantime uh, that they are really committed to changing when they can. I know that there are companies in all industries, including fashion, who can't change right now because COVID has just really made it hard for them to do anything besides profit maximization efforts. And that makes sense. But they have to prove to their consumers that once this is all over, their priorities will change towards what the consumers are prioritizing. I think the best way to do that is through philanthropy. Um, There's many ways to donate to organizations and nonprofits working to combat the virus. There are fashion industry moguls who are donating to COVID vaccines, which is very important. Once the distribution of the vaccine becomes the reality that we live in this COVID-19 pandemic, once the vaccine actually exists, I think fashion industry moguls and the corporations they lead really need to take a foreground effort in helping in whatever way they can. And I know that that sounds really interesting because why would the fashion industry help distribute a vaccine? But we do know that the fashion industry, whether it be the U.S.'s fashion industry or Milan's, is in every corner of the world. Other industries can't say the same. So there's a lot of ways that industries from the U.S. or industries from Europe can help third world countries get the same vaccines that you and I will get probably far sooner. That is a very profoundly uplifting note at the end right there about how these fashion companies can assist in the global distribution effort. Thank you, Emerson, for joining us to chat about sustainability and fashion this week on New Perspectives. Before we head out, is there any final thoughts or final things you'd like to share with the audience before we take you to Class Struggle with Ariana? No, thank you for having me. Welcome to the newest installment of Class Struggle, where we here at New Perspectives compete for your extra electives, hosted by me, Ariana Bennett, one of the podcast producers. Emerson, thank you so much for joining me today. And why don't you start by telling our audience a little bit about your most impactful or your favorite class that you've taken here at Northeastern? Yeah, uh, I think my favorite class here at Northeastern has been Introduction to Economic Justice. I 
took the class in the fall of my freshman year and it was taught by Professor Perrick of the PPE department. I think it really opened my eye to a lot of concepts in economics that I hadn't considered before just by virtue of being a high school student, as well as an introduction to the conflation of philosophy and economics, which I previously had no understanding of. It's wonderful to get that sort of introduction to maybe a potential career path. And that leads me right into my next question is how did this class fit into or inspire your degree path here at Northeastern or maybe even a potential career? Yeah, I think that the class really shifted what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and what my degree at Northeastern. I went in to my freshman year dead set on being a politician and just right off the bat, that's no longer true. I don't want to be a politician. I don't think that the best way to solve some of the biggest issues that affect both the United States and the world can be solved by Congress. I think that the class really taught me that if I want to, for example, solve economic prosperity problems, doing so on a state level is going to be more impactful. Doing so on an international level will be more impactful. The national level, however, is often plagued with too much critique and partisanship for anything to really get done. Um, and that's not what I want to do. I want to actually make progress. Emerson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I want to thank Emerson for joining us on the show to discuss her thoughts on COVID-19, the fashion industry, and the role of consumers. I also want to thank our producers, Brian Grady and Ariana Bennett, for all of their work to bring New Perspectives to you. Make sure to check out nupoliticalreview.com for more from Emerson and all of the other great writers contributing to Nuper. If you're a Northeastern student looking to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at nuprpodcast at gmail.com. We're always looking for new guests, and we'd love to have you on the show. Additionally, if you're interested in publishing an article with NUPR, check out the submission link at the top of nupoliticalreview.com. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.